Welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. Our scripture reading today is from John 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bride and groom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he would reveal his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went, he went down to Capernaum and his mother and brothers, with his mothers and brothers and his disciples. Then they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all of them from the uh, temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he spoke of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. The word of the Lord. Lord, um, we're not here on accident. You have something to speak to us today. So open our ears to exactly what it is. Open our eyes. Silence competing voices. And don't let us leave here unchanged. Jesus, your presence is here. We welcome it. Amen. Uh, I forgot to mention, kids, you are dismissed. Go ahead and go. Um, We have a Hope Kids program. Uh, We have Hope Tots, and we have Tiny Tots for two-year-olds. So we have our teachers in the back. They are there to take uh, our little ones upstairs. Parents, if you have a little, little one, an infant, there is a nursery. If you go right out those doors, to the left, you'll see a sign that says nursery. 
Uh, right in the gymnasium, there's a, a little room, an art room off to the side. It's got toys, it's got wipes, changing station, and you can still hear the sermon. So please make that, um, please make use of that. All right. <laughs> well, we are in a series that we kicked off two weeks ago that we have titled Groundswell. Groundswell. And the idea behind the series is, is quite simple. Um, often when we show up at church and we talk about God, it's kind of like a, a FaceTime relationship. That's what it feels like. Like you, when you FaceTime someone, you can see them, right? You can see them. Uh, you can hear their voice. They, they are them. It's their personality, their humor, whatever. But there's a difference between speaking to someone on FaceTime and speaking to someone face-to-face. And the idea behind this series, what we feel like God is inviting us into as a community, is a season where he wants to step into the room in a more real way, where he wants to speak to us face-to-face, speak to you face-to-face, that there is a living God, a presence who is alive and real. That same presence is what captivated the disciples. That same presence is what we see all throughout the book of Acts. There is a presence that wants to speak to you and to me. And so we're going through John's gospel together because John's gospel really sort of gets at that presence uh, in a more real way than the others do. And so last week, if you were here, we we talked about the admonition, come and see, which is what Jesus constantly invites people into. If you want to know what it is to follow Jesus, it's not to have all the answers and then say yes. It's actually to choose to come first, afraid, doubting, but, but open to him leading us. And then to have your eyes open to see. And and as he says, the promise is you will see greater things than these. You will see things that will blow your mind. And so we enter chapter two today where we're met with these two seemingly odd scenes, right? These these two um, episodes that don't at first glance appear to belong together. Yet John has grouped them together. It's very clear in the original Greek that John wants you to read these two stories um, side, side by side. He wants you to read them together. The first being where Jesus changes water to wine at a wedding. And the second being where he enters the temple and uh, with a lot of passion and zeal, drives out animals and money changers, um, seems very angry. And the question is, why is John put these two stories together? What does God want to speak to you today? A little recap, because it was a couple minutes ago we heard it. And the first story, Jesus is with his disciples and his mother, and he's at, a, he's at a wedding. And the wine runs out, which would have been very embarrassing for the groom, um, that the wine has run out. His mother knows who he is, Jesus, that is, knows the power that is within him, and, and goes to him and says, son, the wine has run out. And Jesus quite playfully goes, woman, why does that concern me? I was always taught, never call your mother woman. <laughs> I got in trouble for that one, but he's Jesus, so I guess he can do it. (laughs) He goes, woman, why does that concern me? My time has not yet come. But apparently, his mother knew what he was saying because she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And so he tells the servants, go get these, these big stone jars. These are massive stone jars, six of them, that would contain 30 or 40 liters of water. He goes, fill them up and take them to the host of the party. They do. And amazingly, the water has now become wine. And not just any wine, notice the best wine. 
the best wine. And the, the host remarks to the groom that usually, I mean, this is very odd, unconventional. Usually you serve the best wine first where everyone can taste it and appreciate it. And then as, as the party has gone on, that's when you serve stuff that people don't know what they're drinking. But you have saved the best for last. It's a really beautiful story at the start of John's gospel. It, it captures the playfulness of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, who listens to his mom, even though his time has not come. I, I just want to pause on that because that gets me. This is God in the flesh who has a sovereign plan, who is orchestrating all things. His time has not come. But his mama says, hey, will you help out with this party? And God says, I will. Don't miss who this God is. The heart of Jesus to keep a celebration going. I think one of the first things John wants you to know, that God wants you to know about him, God is not a destroyer of fun. He's not here to stop the party. In fact, he's here to keep the celebration going. God is here to enhance the celebration. Now, it's important we pause here and define some terms. Define the difference between partying and celebration, because there are differences. Partying is, is, is an attempt at hiding yourself, right? When I show up for a party where there are a bunch of random strangers and I don't know anyone, I'm actually not trying to bring my full self into the room. I'm trying to hide myself. That's why stimulants and substances are like necessary for parties because you want to melt into sort of the collective mass of the room. You're trying to escape reality. Celebration is completely the opposite. Celebration is not about escaping reality. Celebration is bringing the full measure of reality to the surface. When you're celebrating something, it is as Jean Vanier writes, it is a moment of wonder when the joy of the body and the senses are linked to the joy of the spirit. Celebration is not about escaping reality. Celebration is about bringing your full selves to the room, bringing your full selves into the joy of the space. And the reason why it's necessary is because when we bring our full selves to a celebration, what do we notice about each other? We don't have very pretty selves. We got a lot of scars. We got a lot of, you know, jacked up marks and histories and past. Our full selves are not very pretty. So then what is the basis of our celebration? If we're bringing uh, the body and the senses, what is the basis of our celebration? Quite simply, it's the joy of the Spirit. God has welcomed us into this room as our full selves. Friends, it's said throughout, but celebration, the wedding feast, is the very heart of the gospel. It's in the Old Testament and Israel's prophets. It's in the New Testament here. And it's in various letters that sort of hint at um, the world that is to come. And do you know how it's described? It's painted as a picture of a wedding feast. Where we are all gathering, extended family coming together. You know what I'm talking about? You feel it, right? Where you haven't seen your family in so long. And we're coming together with our full selves to celebrate this momentous occasion. That's why at Hope Brooklyn we have dance parties. And I know they're the bane of some of your existence. I do. I do. It, there's, you are not alive, friends, 
until you're dancing at one o'clock in the afternoon, completely sober in an elementary school cafeteria. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. (laughs) They are super awkward, but they're intentional. Do you know why? Because everywhere we go, we're told to hide ourselves. But the heart of the gospel is you don't have to hide anything. Bring the fullness of your terrible dance moves onto this dance floor. We need to see how bad of dancers we are. We do. We need to see that we're all, that none of us are worthy, except for maybe one or two, to be on that dance floor. (laughs) I'm definitely not part of that one or two. (laughs) But why? Because it's an act of coming out of hiding. It's an act of knowing each other fully for who we are. Broken, awkward, old, young, able, disabled, humans. We need to see that we're all bad dancers, and yet even still, Jesus welcomes us into his dance floor. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the only way we'll know that celebration at its core, the joy of the spirit, is pure grace. No one deserves it. No one. No one. That's, I don't don't know if you caught that in the story. That's really what John is getting at with the changing of the water to wine. When Jesus tells the servants, take those jars and fill them with water, uh, there's a line, John puts it in there. These are jars that are used for the Jewish rites of purification. Did you catch that? These are used for Jewish purification. So there was a practice in in Judaism, similar to Catholics, how they touch holy water, very similar in making the sign of the cross. This was a a practice where these vessels that were massive and stone and full of water that a Jew would, would wash ceremonially, they would touch the water and wash. And that would signify that they are now clean. They are ritually clean and able to enter into the celebration. These jars were kind of like bouncers keeping watch over the feast. You have to have your ID. You have to, you have to do the things in order to, to get through them and enter into the joy of the wedding. Isn't that religion? Religion says you have to wash yourself before you can enter into the party. You have, to, you have to wash. These are the bouncers. These are the sentinels. You have to touch the ceremonial water and wash yourself before you can enter into the joy of the celebration. And, and let's be honest, you and I, we like religion. It's easy. We like to know if we deserve to be in the celebration. We like to know who's who and what's what and all of that, which is why celebration is so stinking hard because you and I are used to transactional relationships. We're used to being divided from one another. We do it all the time. Organizations, we're not in real relationships, we're in a transactional. We do something, we receive payment. And as soon as we stop, as soon as we start failing in our duties, we're fired. Social status, that's sort of like, we know these barriers of how you enter into the next echelon of social status or how you climb down the ladder. Wealth, popularity, all of these are transactional barriers, just like religion, that sort of um, maintains who's allowed at the celebration and who is not. And Jesus totally eliminates that border. He says those jars that are used to keep people separate, I'm actually going to use them as receptacles of grace to keep the party going. Catch that, friends. God says, the things that you use to keep yourself separate, I'm going to use to keep the celebration going. Why? Because Jesus wants all of you to know 
that no one deserves to be at his celebration. Grace is receiving what you have not earned and you will never deserve. Grace is receiving what you have not earned and you will never deserve. We are not clean. Our hearts, our thoughts, our relationships, our past, they testify that we are not clean. Our dance moves are bad. Our bodies are broken and dirty, and now we can't even ceremonially wash ourselves to come to the celebration because the jars are gone. So how do we enter into the celebration of Jesus? Just as we are. Just as you are. And we unite the reality of our bodies to the joy of the Spirit. Religion has been eliminated, friends. It's all grace. Some of you need to hear that today. Maybe you came in from a tough week. Maybe you came in, uh, and this is your act of atonement. You've done something that you're ashamed of this week, and this is your action to sort of like atone for that. You can't. No atonement. But that, that's okay. You're welcome as unatoned as you are. I am too. Because what binds us here together is not what you deserve or don't deserve. What binds us here together is that Jesus has come. God has come in the flesh to love us. That is the basis of our hope, and that will always be the basis of our hope. Not some notion of, of our actions or our morality or how good or bad of a person we are. The jars are gone. There's just wine in them now. So grab a cup. Come dance. We are welcomed because of who Jesus is. Religion is eliminated. It's all God's grace. It's the simple gospel. We just sang it. We're laying it down. But the chapter's not over yet. <laughs> the chapter's not over. It's this beautiful scene of Jesus' playfulness, and then we are immediately transported within one verse to the Jewish Passover. Uh, Passover was the practice by which uh, the Jewish people that are you know, spread across a large, large territory, come back to Jerusalem, bring their sacrifices, and remember um, the, the primary story of their identity when God liberated Israel out of captivity in Egypt. And so Jesus is, is, is there as well because he is a faithful Jewish man. And so he arrives at the temple, and what does he find there? He finds commerce. He finds cattle and sheep and doves and he finds money changers exchanging currency because there were Jewish people coming from all across the empire. And we're told he's zealous. He, he makes a whip out of cords. Where, where did the wine Jesus go? I want that Jesus back, right? He's making a whip out of cords. I wonder what he's thinking as he's making that whip. And then he starts driving out the animals, driving out the businessmen. Take these things out of here. He starts turning over tables, pouring out money onto the floor. Get this away from here. This is my father's house, not a marketplace. This, this action of incredible audacity leads the Jewish leaders to say, by, by what authority do you do this? It's a fair question. And he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. 
Of course, the, the Jews, like you and me, we are like, well, this temple, it took 46 years to build. And if it's destroyed, you're going to rebuild it in three days? John tells us he's not talking about the literal temple. He's talking about the temple of his body. That after it's killed, destroyed, it will be raised in three days. An interesting story, right? Where did the celebratory Jesus go? At first glance, these two Jesuses seem very, uh, they seem very far removed from each other until you start to notice a couple parallels. One, he purges the temple. The temple, like the stone jars, are a sign of Jewish religion. The temple was the place where the sacrifices were offered. The Passover was the time when the Jewish people would bring their sacrifices as celebration for all that God has done and remember their identity as God's people. And this is important because often um, we, can, we can misunderstand this. If you were to ask, well, how does a, a, a Jewish person in the Old Testament, how are they saved? How are they made right with God? Many people will say, well, they follow the law. They bring sacrifices. That is completely false. They are saved because God liberated them out of Egypt, because God chose Abraham. They are saved by an act of grace. The law, the sacrifices are simply a response to have already been saved. It is not transactional. They don't have to do these things and then God will love them. No, no, no. They were liberated and chosen as God's people first. And then as a response of being so chosen, here's the way that leads to life with their God. That's important. In similar vein, notice the order of John chapter 2. We have this story of the water to wine of tremendous grace. We are welcome to the dance floor as we are. But then we have a story that shows that our temples are corrupted and need to be purged. Not purged so as to be loved by God. We're already loved by God because we're loved by God. He loves us so much he's willing to do the hard work of purging the temples of our hearts. He loves you so much he's willing to call you out on your stuff. And you don't need to get it right in order for him to continue loving you. That's done. That's grace. You are his child. But because he loves you so much, He's going to purge the temple of your heart. And why? Why was the temple so corrupted? Why did Jesus flip over tables and pour out money? Because God had become a product that was being peddled. And he's saying, you cannot buy God. You cannot buy him to think that your ability to have the best sacrifices sort of warrants um, yeah, you're, you being able to enter the temple. That's ludicrous. You cannot buy him. It is not our ability to buy animals for sacrifice that allows us into the temple. It is God's welcome, which is why this Jesus is a little more angrier. Because notice, in, in the story with the water to wine, what was precluding people from entering in? Their shame. The stone jars were a sign of shame. I am unclean. I need to wash myself and become clean and then I can enter into the feast. But here, it's not that the Jews thought they were unclean. It's actually a sign of their pride. They thought they could buy God, which is why Jesus is saying this is far more dangerous. 
shame, when, when we're ashamed of something we've done or something about ourselves, right? We can, we're open to hearing God say, I love you. But when we think we earn God's love, we can't hear anything. God's voice is drowned out by our own prideful voice, which is why Jesus needs to speak a little bit louder, maybe turn over some tables. Some need to hear the presence of God say that to you today. Maybe you don't need to hear how you're welcome with your bad moves to the dance floor. Maybe what you need to hear is that you actually have bad dance moves. Maybe what you need to hear is like your things in your heart that are corrupted. There's some tables that need to be flipped. There's pride in you that you think that you're deserving to be in this space today, in God's presence. You're not. I, I am not deserving to be up here teaching us, teaching myself. It is a gift of grace. No one is deserving of anything. That's the point. And, and I think this is actually the more dangerous temptation for us in the West. Because we, we, we have so much we think we can take care of ourselves. And the whole point is, those things that we have in our heart are getting in the way of us being in true relationship with God. You and me, we're not, like, this is my guess, we're not morally self-righteous, where we think, oh, I, um, I, I live a certain way, therefore uh, God accepts me. You and me, well, what I've noticed is, we're like socially self-righteous. We think, oh, I love people well enough, therefore God accepts me. I just want to be clear. It's great that you love people. Loving people is not enough to be welcomed into God's temple. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are. I'm willing to guess that you're not a good person every moment of the day. And therefore you are not welcome into God's temple. That pride is corrupting your heart and it needs to be destroyed. You are welcome into God's temple, but not because you love people. You are welcome into God's temple, but not because you're a good person. You're welcome into God's temple because God has welcomed you into his temple. You're welcome into God's temple because Jesus says you can come and I'll show you the way. Which means, why are we welcome into God's temple? Grace. Pure grace. Nothing but grace. Every day is grace. So then we have two religious items in these two stories being transformed by Jesus. He fills the jars, but he empties the temple. He prolongs the celebration, but he halts the commerce. The jars were a sign of shame. You were not clean until you washed. The commerce was a sign of pride. You could buy the better sacrifice. But both were ways of getting to God. And therefore, both were getting in the way of God getting to us. You cannot lose God's love and you cannot buy it by the life you live or the things you have. But you can come to the celebration just as you are. You can enter into the temple, but then the question becomes, great, I can't lose his love. I can't lose God, but I can't earn God. What do I do with God? Be with me, he says. Just just be with me as you are. And then you see it. You see why John has begun Jesus' ministry with these two odd accounts that paint a different picture of Jesus. He told us in chapter 1, 
The law came through Moses, but grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ. Both stories are dealing with the transformation that is occurring in, in the human relationship with God. The law was transactional. Even though what I just told you is true, that the Jewish people were not saved by their keeping of the law, that's what they had started to believe about themselves. That what made them right in their, in their community before God was their keeping of the law. The law was transactional. You earned and lost love. But grace and truth is relational. God is putting us in friendship with him. And we know this because the one who mediates this friendship, the one who says to the human race, you can't earn God, but God wants to be friends with you, is Jesus. He's the mediator. He's the center, he's the center point. He's the one who connects that relationship. We can be in relationship with God, with the meaning of existence, with, with the personal force that is behind existence called love. We can be in relationship with our creator through Jesus, God in the flesh. He's the one who tells the servants to fill the jars and the waters turn to wine. He's the one who makes the whip and purges the temple and says his body is the new temple. Notice the contrast of wine and body where it'll be before his crucifixion, he will give his followers a feast of bread and wine. He will give them a celebration and say, continue to eat and remember me. I am the entry point into friendship with God. Me, not what you can do and not what you can lose. Me, myself. Guys, God is doing a new thing in the world. And I know it doesn't feel as spectacular as it is, but think about it. Most religious systems, most narratives tell a story of us having to do things to get to God, of a very transactional relationship. And God is abolishing that. He's blowing it up. Jesus is saying that is not at all what this world is like. You are welcome into friendship with God right as you are today. You're welcome. You can be friends with the presence that permeates all of the cosmos. And we know this because we see Jesus, the locus of God's reality, his love, the truest impulse of the universe is Jesus Christ. The reign of God starts with the reign of friendship with Jesus. Which means this new thing he's doing, this new kingdom is a revolution of what we can touch and taste, of love in our bodies that continues even through death, of a community of us that are bound not by what we have earned or lost, but we are bound because Jesus welcomes us to the dance floor over and over and over again. This reign of God breaks the powers of shame and pride and the demonic that continually separates us from one another and says that's all ludicrous. Welcome. People see Jesus when they see us love one another. When they see a model of friendship that is not transactional, but is deeply transformative. And this actually bears out in history. Uh, one of the first church historians was a guy named Tertullian. He was a Roman historian, and then he became a Christian. And one of the things, one of the moments he credits with, with becoming a Christian is he was sitting in the Colosseum watching Christians be sacrificed as part of the games. 
And he was sitting there and he's like, this is just odd. And it wasn't odd the way that they were being sacrificed, but the Christians were actually blessing one another while they were being sacrificed. They were calling out like encouragement to each other. And then he heard someone like a couple seats away say, shout out, look how they love one another. And that jarred something in him. Look how they love one another. They love like no one else in society loves. They don't earn each other's loves. They don't lose each other's love. They don't back away from each other. They challenge one another. They fight with each other. But they're constantly sacrificing themselves to each other. They're submitting to each other. We can see the reign of God, the friendship with God. We see grace and truth through our friends. Jesus is found in this space, in the church. Jesus is found in his body, which is called church. We are the mediator now of water and wine, of turning water to wine, and of purging the temple. We are the mediator for each other of grace and truth, which means we are the mediator of Jesus. Jesus gives us the church who in turn become our friends. And if we continue to push into them, what we discover is himself. And many of y'all probably can guess where I'm going with this. Today is a, is a really bittersweet day. And if you're here for the first time, you, you kind of stepped into an emotional landmine. Um, Hope Brooklyn is about two and a half years old. Um, Anna, my wife Anna and I, we've been in the city for a little over four years now. And uh, in terms of when we started building community for Hope Brooklyn, it's about three years, a little over three years. And the first two people um, who we asked to help us start Hope Brooklyn were Nathan and Stephanie Cousins. And we asked them to help us get it going, get us through chapter one, um, and then reassess. And they, they have done that. And what they've discerned, as you all know, is that they fulfilled their commission. They fulfilled their assignment. They've completed it. And uh, today is their last Sunday, and they're moving back to Minnesota. And I, I think it's incredibly profound that this passage talks about what we're being offered is friendship with Jesus. And we find that through one another because the most transformative thing that I've learned over these last four years, I'm just going to be honest and I don't mean to hurt your feelings, it has not been through you. The most transformative thing I've learned about God has been through my friend Nathan. He has taught me about Jesus. I, I realize now that Hope Brooklyn was the ploy. It wasn't the end. Hope Brooklyn was the means to a greater end, and the greater end was to bring Nathan and I together as friends so that God could get through to me. Interestingly enough, four years to the day, this very weekend, is when Nathan and I met. I was a resident at Hope Astoria. He showed up. We got to talking. I asked him if he wanted to watch a football game that night. Um, I would later learn that he really wanted to be friends because Nathan hates sports. Um, <laughs> It was about two minutes into the game uh, where we started talking, and, I, and it dawns on me, oh, we are not going to watch football tonight. Like, that's, that's not what he had in mind. <laughs> but we had one of the best conversations. We had read the same obscure books. And I went home to Anna, and I said, babe, I think I've met my new best friend. Apparently, he said the exact same thing to Steph. I remember that first fall. I remember how depressed you were. 
how stressed I was. I remember us meeting at Queen's Kickshaw. I remember the moment I knew I loved you. It was snowing. I had overslept my alarm. I woke to the sound of an alarm. And many of you who know Nathan, you would, you would know exactly what's going to happen. I, I woke to the sound of a phone call coming, coming in. And I picked it up. And I start mumbling, you know, half, half coherent. Oh, I'm so sorry, I'm late. And his voice just goes, breathe. Just breathe. It's a beautiful morning. Put on some pants and enjoy your walk. <laughs> it was like his hand reached out and grabbed my spine and just calmed me. I knew I loved him then. I knew he was special. I remember the day that I asked Nathan to help start Hope Brooklyn. We took a long walk all throughout Fort Greene and down to the docks and um, to Prospect Park. I remember when I popped the question on Pier 1. <laughs> we took a giddy picture of ourselves and sent it to our wives. Like, hey, we're going to start a church. <laughs> but the presence of God was so real on that day. and We chatted about that recently. It was so real. I remember the highs and the lows over the last, last years. Birthdays and long, stressful nights, trips to Sunnies and upstate, Judith being born, fall kickoffs and Easter block parties and dance parties. And when he and I, when you and I, when we would fight and we got better at it, and we would always start with, you know I love you. <laughs> but I have something to say. And we got so much better. And when stress would course through our bodies, and you would look at me and you'd say, you know, you're really good at this. I remember early on when I was so stressed out and all I wanted to do was talk about the church with you. And I could see in your eyes that it was, it was killing something because our relationship had changed. We weren't just friends anymore. We were now colleagues. And you wanted it back where it was just friendship. And I could see it and I knew I was hurting you, but I didn't know how to do anything better. And that was the gift of friendship because you never left. You stayed there with me. And I remember I got to challenge you on some things. That's the beauty of friends. We got to be grace and truth to one another. We got to be Jesus. But none of this matters. That's the truth. God doesn't care about what we do or where we go. He doesn't care about the things you care about, friends. You know what he cares about? He wants to be your friend friend. He wants that presence to be so deep and so rich in us. And so he will use whatever mechanism he can to get to us. And in my case, he used Hope Brooklyn to connect me with Nathan. And through our friendship, I have seen Jesus in a way that I've never seen him before. In just a minute, I'm actually going to invite Nathan and Stephanie and Judith to come forward. They're going to share a couple words with all of you guys before we sing a response song and come to the table. But I was reminded of this passage from Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul talks about what the body of, of Christ is like, what the church is like. And he says, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. What's he saying? He's saying the more we join together in friendship, 
the more we speak with grace and truth to one another, not transactionally, but transformationally, do you know what we discover at the end of that road? We discover Jesus. Our friendships lead us into becoming like Christ. So with that, I want to invite up the cousins, and they are going to share a couple words. Their, their final parting words to you guys, who they love so dearly, who they've poured out. Yeah, give it up. mess guys so just bear with me I'm gonna set this in here because I'm shaky and weepy and right when I think there aren't more tears there are more tears thanks for those kind words Russ good morning church it seems impossible that we're standing up here saying goodbye I'm gonna read because of the aforementioned things that we're standing up here saying goodbye. We've had the great privilege of watching Hope Brooklyn grow from four people to a couple hundred, and it has been truly the greatest opportunity of our lives. One we never saw coming. Since announcing our move home to Minnesota, we've received so many wonderful messages from all of you, so many kind words, and so many thank yous, but it's all felt a little funny because we feel that we've been the ones who have been given so much. For the last three years, we've borne witness to many miracles, big ones and small ones. We've watched God unite a body of beautifully diverse people together, restore broken hearts, mend broken relationships, heal past hurts, plant new dreams, and turn strangers into friends. We've watched as people have walked through the door and immediately made the vulnerable decision of joining a table right away with some strangers, people they don't know, sharing food, joining a team, helping set up, and doing various things without asking for anything in return. And we've watched this wonderful and unique group of people, all of you with varying beliefs and backgrounds and passions, try to make space for one another and for the stranger, or as we like to say at Hope Brooklyn, to make room at the table. And this has been such a miracle to behold. It is a miracle when we grab the hand of somebody who's different than us and we invite them into the body, into the picture, into the celebration, and into a fuller picture of who God is. I didn't experience this kind of openness and humility in church growing up, and to be a part of a community who strives to make this kind of space for each other has been so healing for me. The past three years, I've wrestled with God more than I ever have in my life, which is ironic because he <laughs> asked us to start a church, and I was like, I don't know how to pray to you. I don't know who you are, and I, you guys, I have been struggling. <clears throat> but instead of making me feel guilty about it or pressuring me to be somewhere I'm not, I felt held and supported and in turn been allowed the opportunity to step into a deeper understanding of God. And of course, Anna and Russ have shown this to me in such a deep and profound way. But of, co 
but you have as well. Perhaps the greatest miracle I've witnessed during my time at Hope is the, med- is the revelation I've received that God is who he says he is. Through my flailing and my wrestling and my utter brokenness, your kind welcome, your warm embrace, your unwavering friendship, your humbling and humble leadership from Anna and Russ. I mean, I truly, I think that's been kind of the most profound thing to be so close to is to feel like, you know, my experience with church, I've been so distant generally from the past. I mean, like, I've been friends with the pastor, you know the pastor's but never been able to be in deep relationship with them in that way. And, and that's not possible for everybody, everybody. but to, to witness this kind of leading with your scars and with your brokenness um, leadership has been just so profound and so powerful in my life. And I think it's just unlocked a lot of um, barriers that I was putting up between me and the Lord. Um, where was I? Yes, so through that leadership and through your friendship, all of you, hope, you've shown me a God who is gracious, all-powerful, kind, deeply loving, and perhaps the most overwhelming ever present. You, the people of Hope Brooklyn, have been the hands, the feet, and the face of God for me when I couldn't see it for myself. And now that we're leaving, and as I've been reflecting back on our time here, I see I see more than ever how God is all over this place and in all of you. And I see how he's shaping us and calling us into deeper relationship with him regardless of where we're at or how worthy we feel of his relentless love. I mean, today's message resounds so deeply um, in my experience here. And uh, I think I've just learned more than ever in a way that I couldn't have elsewhere that I don't have to wash myself clean, that I don't, that you don't have to wash yourself clean to be part of the celebration. And I have felt that so powerfully. I don't know if you guys feel that here, but I just, I think it starts from the top down. And I, I think it's just really important and really needed because we're all the same and we're all wanting the same things and broken in the same ways. And we have different experiences of that, of course, but um, none of us is, a, I'm like preaching up here. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody stop me! Woo! Uh, I mean, so many things this morning. I was like trying, I have no room on this paper, but, um, you know, have just been exactly my experience of, of being here. And it was so weird as I've been reflecting and trying to pinpoint what is it that has been so special and, and so life-changing um, and, and, you know, guys, there have been moments the last few years where I felt super ugly, super unworthy for sure to be a leader at a church in the sense that I've just been doubting God so much and I felt abandoned by him. And um, it's been really bizarre to be now leaving and reflecting. And I feel like, ironically, this is sometimes how life is or often how life is, is we don't see the full clarity of the picture until we're leaving it or until we're looking back and that we can rarely experience it in the moment as it is. And as I look back, I see such beauty and more than that, such a profound presence of God. And I never thought I could say that here today. So that is just a testament to all of you remaining in relationship with him and showing that you, you don't judge where I'm at. And anyways, that blah, blah, blah. You get the idea of that. <laughs> so Hope Brooklyn... 
family, if I could leave you with one thing before we set sail to Minnesota, keep abiding, keep fighting the good fight, keep grabbing each other's hands even when it's hard, keep making room at the table more and more and even more room, and keep pointing to a loving, living and loving God, for he truly is mighty to save. Oh my gosh. Not a minute. Not for, a, what did I write? Something. Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. We love you so much. And we love you, Anna and Russ. Thank you. We'll miss you. I'll keep this, uh, I'll keep this brief, but uh, just a few, um, few last thoughts as I've been reflecting as well. Um, I guess I just wanted to say thank you all for letting us into your lives, letting us into uh, your homes and at your tables. And Steph said everything pretty much already so well, so I'll just reiterate a couple things. Um, uh, thank you for letting us lead out of our brokenness. We moved to New York as Steph indicated, kind of going into a real dark night of the soul, both of us together at slightly different times, but together. Um, and uh, felt, felt in no way like we had a resume to start a spiritual community. But that's what, uh, that's what God was up to. And, uh, and we said yes to that. And uh, the process of leading out of scars and brokenness um, and falling and getting back up again and experimenting and... Um, entering into relationship and friendship has been maybe the most transformative thing of our lives. Um, to Russ and Anna, thank you for asking us. <laughs> they almost didn't because they know we were from Minnesota and we were probably going to move back at some point, but they did. They did, and I'm so glad they did because none of us knew, none of us knew what God was up to. Um, how do we ever? Uh, we just have to say yes to the next step. Your friendship means the world to us. And I know Russ said some very flattering things earlier, but I hope you guys know what amazing pastors you have. Yeah. If you don't, if you know them, you know this already. If you don't know them, get them coffee, make them dinner, get to know them because they do not take them for granted and do not let them go. They are truly amazing, truly amazing people. They do not make people like this every day. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Something that Russ and I heard uh, a couple years ago from a church planter up in Harlem. His name is Jordan. We heard him say something that's kind of become a mantra. Stop it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll just turn it um, around. Don't look at me. Um, something, something Jordan said that's kind of, become, kind of became a mantra for Russ and I and for some of us on the leadership team because it resonated so deeply. Uh, he said, I, at first I thought God was, hmm. At first I thought God was calling me to, plant a church to save people, and uh, only later did I realize God was calling me to plant a church to save Jordan. Um, God was calling us to plant, help plant a church to save Nathan and to save Stephanie, and I'm sure that's true of a lot of you. God is calling you to be a part of this spiritual community or a spiritual community um, to save you. Um, so just a few uh, things I would ask of you as a community. Um, continue to make room for everyone wherever they are in the spiritual journey, all right? Um, continue to discover doubt and surrender together. What a gift that we are able to discover who God is and bring our full selves to doubt 
and bring our full selves into surrender to God together as a family. Um, we're not going to be perfect. We're going we're to screw it up, but, but we're together, and we're, we're committed to this thing as, as the family of God. Um, don't stop eating together. I love at Hope Brooklyn, we are always eating together, and it's the one thing that Jesus asked us to do to remember him by, to share a meal, so never stop eating together. Always gather around the story of Jesus and keep that at the center of everything. Um, lastly, uh, lean into the Holy Spirit this next season. I know Russ and the leadership team have been uh, really discerning in beautiful ways what, what Hope Brooklyn is stepping into, um, and Russ is doing a wonderful job leading you through all that in this Groundswell series. So, uh, so lean into the Spirit together, trust the flow, and um, you guys are in good hands. We are all in good hands. You're in good hands. We're in good hands. Um, friendship, it's at the core of the gospel. Friendship, relationship, and intimacy. This is what it's all about. Friendship with God, which allows us to be in, in true friendship and relationship with each other. Um, we love you guys so much. Thank you for everything. We are the ones who feel like we've received in this, like Steph said. And uh, you always have friends and a place to crash in Minnesota. All right? <laughs> So here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go straight into communion uh, as the worship team comes up. Um, if you feel comfortable, would you stretch out your, your hand toward Nathan and Steph? We're going to pray for them. We're going to bless them. And then we're going to come to the table together and remind ourselves that the body of Christ, the community, is very big, stretches across this entire world. And what binds us together is his sacrifice and his invitation for us to come to come and eat and to come and remember. So let's pray. Friendship is at the heart of the gospel. God, you did a new thing. You did a new thing when Jesus came. You revealed something that no one has ever known that the meaning of existence is not transactional. You can't earn your life, you can't lose your life. You can only receive it. You can receive the friendship of God. Love, love is the final word. And that word is spoken by Jesus himself. Love, love I leave with you. Greater love, you said, has nothing but this that it would lay down its life for its friends. Thank you for the friendship of Nathan and Steph. Thank you for the ways. I mean, this is such a good pain. It hurts because it's been so good. We've seen you so clearly. And Lord, our hearts cry out that you would just bless the heck out of them. Just send them at every step on the, the road back to Minnesota that they would catch a glimpse 
of your hand that loves to surprise us? Would they know, would they sense in their their hearts right now all the love in this room, all the fruit that has been born because of their faithfulness and their willingness to say yes? Not what they thought about themselves, but to say yes. And we say yes to you today, God. We say yes. We deserve nothing. We get everything. We cannot earn it. We cannot buy it. We cannot lose it. We only receive the offer of friendship through Jesus. And so as we come to the table today, we come with open hands, open hearts, and an open mind that says presence of God, seen in Jesus, you can have your way with me. I want to be your friend. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this incredible family. Go with them as I know you will. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. To find out more about the mission of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday gatherings, brunch, how to financially contribute, and a whole lot more, check us out online at www.hopebrooklyn.org. Thanks to Liz Vice at lizvice.com for the music and to you for tuning in. See you next week.